I want to I want to mix things up just a little bit for you. Uh, and what I want to ask is, uh, if you guys back there in the booth, could you bring up that second song we sang again? Uh, what I stand, and then you can fill in the blanks. Uh, I mean, did you did, when we were singing it? I mean, did did we? Did you really did you really read those words? Did you really did you really feel them? Uh, let's let's go through. Let's get to the let's get to that chorus, okay? Uh, you guys, you guys back there, you got the worship leader. He knows what it is. I don't know what they call it nowadays. I'm old school. So keep going. Uh, slide after slide. I'll stop you when you get there. Uh, and, uh, there we go. Yeah, man, just read those real quick. I mean, think about that. We're talking about the Holy Spirit this morning. Think about what, when, when we keep going, uh, let's keep hinting. I'll tell you, that's the one I want when we get there, man, look at that. When your brokenness and your pain, when it's all broken, when it's all taken away. But this, this is what I like. I like that. I mean, I love that. I won't be shaken. I won't be shaken. The thing with the Holy Spirit, keep going. Keep going with, those, with the slides back there because we're, we're really not there yet. Shame. Shame. One of the greatest problems in the church today, we, we are churches filled with shame in our hearts and our lives for the past that we have for the things that we've done. We can't get over the shame. We can't get over what we had happened to us years ago. We see people in town and, and we're reminded of the shame. But friends, the Holy Spirit has come and the cross says that the shame is gone. That's what the tomb and the resurrection is all about. When Jesus Christ resurrected from that tomb. Shame and guilt are rolled away. But the great deceiver, I call him all the time, the chatterbox, gets in our ears, right? Yes, those old pictures of back in the day of, you know, the old Tom and Jerry. Nobody's old enough to remember them but me. You know, they can't even educate children today about that. I mean, you know, I, I'll probably be politically incorrect. They, but, but the devil on one side and an angel on the other, that's true. That's true. Satan will get in your head and he will chatter to you all of your past. He will tell you all of the things you've done in your past. He won't let God speak to the Holy Spirit because we will shut him out. Keep going. There's a, there's a couple of more. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid to leave my past behind. I won't be shaken. I won't be shaken. I've got to admit to you that as I sing that song, I can't, I can't stand still. I can't be quiet. I am testifying while I sing to the world. I am testifying to my heart. I am testifying to Satan that he has no, no right over my life. He has no right to chatter in my head of my past. He has no right, no belonging in my life. He has nothing on me. So this morning we talk about the Holy Spirit. We live in a world of desperation, don't we? We live in a world in desperation. I mean, if we, if we did not understand desperation before March 11th, we understand it now. We, we truly understand what it's like to be desperate for the past five months. We had to stay at home. We didn't... We couldn't decide what to wear, whether it was sweatpants or sweatpants. 
Some people may have lost their jobs. Businesses folded up. They were shut down. Dreams were crushed. Hopes of a nation seemed to be falling all apart. And then women, mothers, I, I understand. Mothers had to go home and, and try to teach your own children. And mothers that maybe work. Mothers that are involved in other areas. And you began, we all began to understand that our teachers just aren't paid enough. Do I have an amen from a teacher somewhere? Amen. amen. They are not even paid nearly enough. Because as a mother, you may have been a worker. You had to come home. You had to get on a computer. You had to continue to work. And you had to feed your children, clean your children, watch over your children. Get them to get on the computer and do some of their own homework. Which that was totally impossible. You began praying about March the 15th that school would open back up. And if March or August the 14th and the 15th, the 24 hours, isn't about school opening back up, then you've sinned. You ought to have this man right back there. You ought to have him on your heart. You ought to be praying. Because I am a total believer. I know my seven children. I know my seven children. Man, we were more than happy to send them to school every day. They needed it. They needed to be where someone was teaching them. You see, we've we become desperate. Now, maybe, maybe desperate for some of the wrong reasons. My prayer throughout this whole time has simply been this. God used this time. This situation to show us how. We have a real problem of desperation for you. I wanted, I wanted us, I want the church to understand that we have a real, true desperation, but not for the things of this world, but that we suddenly realize through all that has happened and what we are still going through, that we, have, we need the church today. The believers and the disciples of Jesus today need a desperation for the heart of God. We have overlooked Him for so long, because we have filled our needs of desperation with God's and so many other things. We are desperate. And I hope what has happened for you as families, I hope what has happened for this church is we would realize that maybe there are a lot of things that we have been doing that have not called for the desperation of God. They've called for the desperation of my wants and needs and desires. They've not called for the desperation of the word of God to be preached. And so we look at desperation. We come to the Holy Spirit to look how desperate we are. And desperation is that desperation that I wrote down a long time ago that leads us today to look at the Holy Spirit. Who is the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit? So if you have your Bibles, you have your phones, you have something to turn to. I want to, I want to read some scripture right now to us to set us up to be able to look at the Holy Spirit. It's in John, the 14th chapter is where we will start reading right now. John, the 14th chapter in verses 15 through 18. We hear these words. Let me get there. There we go. Jesus, the words of Jesus, if you love me, obey my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. 
He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him. Because he lives, get this, he lives with you. Fear, look at, he lives with you. Who do you think he's talking about? He lives with you. Who's talking to them? Jesus. He lives with you. But get this. Now and later will be in you. What a promise. And I love these words. Just the first part of the 18th verse. Now I will not abandon you as orphans. You're not going to be left alone. You are not alone. You are not what Satan says you are. We are his. And so if we flip over to uh, Acts. In Acts, the first chapter, I love the book of Acts. I, I read the book of Acts a couple of times, three times a year. I would encourage you to do that. 28 days, a chapter a day. You could, you could read the book of Acts in a month. You could take a month off and come back. You could read it six times a year. I love these verses. Starting with verse 4, and I'm going to read all the way through verse 8. Once when he was eating with them, he commanded them to do this. Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift that's promised. Promised as I told you before. The promise. John the Bab Baptist, or John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So, when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord... Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and to restore your kingdom? And I know that you've probably heard this before, but if not, if you've never heard this before, the, the, the apostles still, even at this point in time, had a misunderstanding of what the Messiah really was and who the Messiah and what the Messiah would be. They had for so many years, the tradition had been taught to them for so many years that when the Messiah came, he would overcome Rome. You see, they believed that the Israelite nation, the Jewish people believed that we are slaves to no one. They told Jesus that a couple of times. If you remember, reading the book of John, they, the, the Pharisees made the bold statement, we are slaves to no one, we are children of Abraham. Now, if I'd have been Jesus at that point in time, I would have corrected him. Jesus just let him go on. Jesus is so much nicer than me. I guess that's why he's the son of God. Jesus didn't correct them. Jesus just simply said, no, you're slaves. You are slaves. You see, they were slaves. They were slaves to the Roman government. They had to do everything the Roman government told them to do. They were wrong when they said, we are not slaves to anyone. But Jesus even pointed out even deeper. No, you're slaves to sin. You're slaves to sin. And these guys had the wrong idea of the Messiah. So they're asking, when are you going to restore the power of the kingdom of Israel back to the time of David? When are we going to get to rule on those thrones that we'd argued about earlier? You remember that? We've been arguing about that. When are we going to, when's that going to happen? When are we going to get to do that? Jesus says, the Father alone has the authority to set these dates and times. And they are not for you to know, but you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. It's going to happen. If you just flip the page in the second chapter. On the day of Pentecost. On the day of Pentecost, 10 days after that ascension, all the believers were meeting together in the place suddenly. 
Suddenly there was from heaven like a roaring of a mighty windstorm and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then, it, then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on them and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit. My friends, we need a desperation today, church. We need a desperation of the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit moving upon our lives to cause a great windstorm of faith and a great windstorm of miracles and a great windstorm of people and the church of God to be willing to stand up against the evil and the darkness of this world. But we have been deceived. We have been chained down to not believe that we can do that. I beg my own church and I beg us. That this power is available to us. It is the promise of Acts 2.38 that we love. I know in 9th Street we love to stand on Acts 2.38. But did you pay attention to verse 39? For in verse 39 he says this promise is to you. To your children. And to 9th Street Christian Church on August the 2nd, 2020. The presence, the power of the Holy Spirit. But we have begun to believe that that can't happen. And what happens when we become a church and we become a person, an individual and a people. That begin to believe that what actually happens, we never expect it. We never want it. And we never see it. Right now, the world needs the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, more than probably any lifetime anybody in this room has lived. People are open to the gospel on three different occasions. Number one is when they lose someone in death. When they lose a spouse, when they lose a child, when they lose a parent, when they lose a, a, an aunt or an uncle or a grandparent. When they lose someone to death, they are more open then. To the Holy Spirit and to the good news of Jesus Christ any other time. That's why I like to preach funerals. I preach a funeral tomorrow. That's why I like to preach funerals. I did a wedding yesterday. You think it did any good to talk about Jesus' resurrection yesterday? No. They could have cared less. But tomorrow morning, the whole crowd needs to hear. That that man in that casket is no longer there. Because he is experiencing the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. And they want to hear it. Second of all, people, people want to hear the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, when they are faced with their own immortality. When you, like this man, were told you only have a few months to live. At that point in time, now he was already a believer, but at that point in time, he wanted to hear the gospel and the good news and the hope of, of the resurrection more than any other time in his life. People right now want to hear that. And then when there is a world tragedy. When there is something going on right now that takes you completely out of what you used to do, people are ready right now, right here in Eldon, Missouri, right here in this community, Miller County and in Morgan County. People want and people need to hear the gospel. They are desperate for the good news of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we have been promised the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, if I told you, if I told you that I last night... In our motel room while we were praying, the Holy Spirit came into my room. First of all, that would, that would freak some of you out. You're too conservative. You'd freak you out. The Holy Spirit came into my room last night. When the Holy Spirit came into my room, he told me, hey, don't worry about what you're going to say tomorrow at 9th Street Christian Church. I've got something better. Oh, better? Yeah. 
The Holy Spirit told me last night that from last night, from last night, for the rest of my life, I was going to be the greatest basketball player that ever lived. And some of you have seen my great basketball ability. I mean, you're, you're looking at five foot eight. But from now on, God said last night, Jamie was shocked. God said, you're going to be able to dunk the ball. You're going to be able to shoot the ball and never miss. You are going to be filled with the greatest basketball power that has ever lived. I, I, I wanted to demonstrate this morning. Got a little basketball here. So, oh gosh. Man. My eyes. He didn't say anything about my eyes. But he did say that I would have the greatest basketball power and ability ever. That, that I would be able to do things. I'd be able to finally palm, palm. I told you. Take air out of the ball so I could palm it today. That's what I, oh, there we go. Stick it in hard, baby. Take a picture so it looks like I'm worth something over here. God said I'd be able to dunk the ball. Now, now I also asked him a question. I said, what about that hip that I have that doesn't work anymore? So don't worry about your hip. You're going to be able to do things like you've never done before. You're going to be able to shoot. You'll never miss like, like before. I said, well, I didn't miss before. And God said, eh, let's check on that one. But you'll never miss again. All the passes will be right. All the dribbles will be right. So this afternoon, Tyler, get some guys together. Let's play a little basketball. And about five minutes into the game, everybody can really see what has happened. All of a sudden, I don't make shots. I don't make passes. I don't dribble and I don't run up and down the floor. Who are you going to question? The Holy Spirit or me? Who are you going to say maybe didn't get the story right? The Holy Spirit or me? You're going to say me. And right now you see the world is waiting. The world is waiting for you and I to live out what we say is true. Now let's get to it. I've got about five minutes left. John 14 verses 15 through 17. Let's go back there. Jesus says and describes the Holy Spirit for us in two ways. The first one, he says this right here, that the Father is going to send another advocate. That word another is so very important. You don't hear people talk about that another very often. You don't hear long sermons on the another, but we need to understand that the another, the word another is a huge big word in the Greek language. The Greek language had two words for another. The first one simply meant this. It was like we're going in one direction and we have to turn around and go in another direction. We're going down one street, but do we realize that the GPS has told us wrong? We're going to turn around and go another direction. I have been lost more now since I listened to my phone than I was ever lost before. But I've learned that I have to go another direction. That's not the another that Jesus says right here. When God is going to send you another, He's going to send you another it simply means this. It is exactly the same, but different. You remember I pointed out to you there what Jesus was saying. He says, right now, he lives with you. He lives with you. He lives with you. But then he's going to live in you. It's going to be the same, but different. He's going to have the same power. He's going to have the same leading. It's going to be the same voice. It's going to be the same. And I, re I repeat it over and over again, the same power and the same presence. But he will no longer be just around you. He won't be beside you. You won't be able to just watch him do the miracles. You see, the miracles will now belong to you. The presence will belong to you. The power will belong to you. And then he says, and he uses the word another advocate. And the words that describe are best to describe the advocate is simply this, the helper. 
the helper, one who pleads another cause before a judge, a pleader, a counsel for defense, a legal assistant, a helper to get you through whatever you are facing. We need that. We need that advocate. But what is the advocate to do? Well, let's, let's go on to another section of Scripture in John the 16th chapter. In John the 16th chapter, I want to set up something just before we do this right now. Before this, If you look back in, in, in John the 13th chapter, you have time to get back there to verses 33 and 34. Jesus says, and he's talking to his disciples, and he says this beautiful, wonderful world, dear children. Don't misunderstand that. He's going, guys... Buddies, hey guys, guys, he's treating them like, like a child who needs to hear these words of encouragement, the reality and the truth of what he's about to say to them. He said, I will be with you only a little longer. And as I told the Jewish leaders, you will search for me, but you can't come where I'm going. So I'm giving you a new command. Love each other just as I have loved you. I'm going somewhere else. Jesus over and over again described to these men what would take place and they never could get it. And in the 16th chapter, in verses 5 and reading through verse 11, Jesus said this, but now I'm going away to the one who sent me and not one of you is asking me where I'm going. Sounds a lot like us today. I'm telling you, I'm going somewhere, but not a one of you are asking where I'm going. You're worried about what's going to happen. You're worried about, are we going to get this? Are we going to get that? Nobody's really asking the real question this morning. Where are you going? What are you going to do? How can you move in us, God? How can you change our church? How can you change Eldon, Camdenton? How can you change Osage Beach? How can you change Versailles? How can we change? Nobody's asking the real questions. He said in verse 6, instead you grieve because what I've told you, but in fact, it's best. And that's the first thing underneath this. The three things that, that Jesus is going to tell these disciples that we will get to very quickly. But number one, really, I guess four, number one would be as he says, it's best that I go. It's best that I go. You see, what's best for us sometimes upon what we can see and what we know we don't perceive it that way. Proverbs, the third chapter, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord with everything you have. And do not lean. Do not depend upon what you can see. What your own understanding is. And Jesus is saying the same thing here. It's best. Trust me. It's best that I go. Because if I don't, the advocate, the helper, the counselor won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. And here's the three things. And when he comes, he'll convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. The world's sin is that they refuse to believe in me. Don't so often we want our friends, we want our family members to come to church and we go to the preacher, we go to the speaker, we go to someone we want the church to point out all their sins. And the reality is not their sin, it's their unbelief. We need to be living in such a way that people will want to believe in the God that we believe in. They will understand that we have come to the realization that we are no longer filled with shame and grief. We are filled with the forgiveness and the power of the Holy Spirit. And they want that. Because they are grieving. And they want what we have. Righteousness is available, he says, because I go to the Father. And you will see me no more judgment will come because the ruler of this world has already been judged. Those three things that Jesus says 
that he's come to do. First of all, he says that when the Holy Spirit comes, he will be the convictor of sin. The one thing that, as I said, the one thing that we so often think that the world needs to see, but he'll be the convictor in their sin is not what they are doing, not the breaking of a law, not, you know, these, these sins that we want to talk about and want to describe and want to try to use them to convict somebody to change their life. He's saying, no, it's unbelief. And so the real question for us today is, do we really believe? When we look into our hearts, do we really believe that that Jesus God, the Holy Spirit lives within us. We sang about the three in one. Does he truly live in us? And do I want him to do in me what he has promised to do to give me the help and the comfort and the conviction to stand up against the unbelief of this world? That's what the Holy Spirit has come today for you and I to convict us. To believe and to trust greater than we ever have before. To go to our knees, not just at a time where we're encouraged to sign up, but to go to our knees daily. This is one thing that, that Jamie and I have got to experience over all of these months is the daily time that we spend in prayer. Now, I often I tell people, and yesterday we were asked again to pray for someone after the ceremony was over with and to pray for Harold a decision I had to make and they asked me to pray and so I prayed and after I was done I said now you need to understand something I, I will continue to pray for Harold so thankful that I got to pray for Harold right now but you understand something you asked Jamie to pray God doesn't listen to me but he listens to her and so I'm usually coming home and say you need to pray about this and then I kind of back away because I know the lightning's going to hit me because it has to do with me her time in prayer just over you as this church of people she didn't know I want you to know has been great and has been mighty throughout the night. Because she wants God to move and the Holy Spirit to move in your lives. To cause something great to happen in this church that we love. You see, we need that conviction. We need righteousness. Now, here's the good news about this righteousness. You see, this righteousness was promised to all of us that come to Jesus Christ. And the righteousness of Jesus that we're told about in 1 Corinthians. The Apostle Paul writes. And to say that the righteousness of Jesus Christ is imputed. It is given to me. I have the righteousness of Jesus. You have the righteousness of Jesus. You see, that's where the next time. And I know Jamie is going to go. We're going to get in the car. We're going to go home. She says, when are you going to listen to your own sermons? Uh, the next time Satan gets in your head and he begins to chatter to you. You and I need to say to him, get away from me. Get back, get away from me, because we are the righteousness of God. We are the word of God. People ought to see within us the glory of God. We ought to come to worship that. We ought to come to be a part of that. We ought to go to work with that. It doesn't mean that we're whole. That righteousness does not mean holier than thou. Righteousness means that we live out Jesus Christ. We do what he's called us to do. And I read what he told us to do. To love one another like no one else has ever loved before. We have the righteousness of God. And last of all, we realize the judgment of God is coming. If for no other reason, if I could scare you, if I could talk you into it, if I could influence you and motivate you to something, it would be this. We need to move as fast as we possibly can. Because if this has not shown us that the judgment of God is coming, then I don't know what will. If this situation over the last five months has shown us anything, has shown us that Jesus Christ is coming back. And the judgment of God is going to be, it's going to be bad for some. 
many. Jesus Christ, when he returns, will come back on a white horse. He will come back with the sword of judgment for those who do not believe. And we, the church, need to take seriously today from now on that the preaching of the gospel and the message of Jesus Christ has got to sound out to this lost world. Because the judgment of God is coming. And some believe that that judgment upon our country is right now. For we have lost the desperation for God and we placed it in priorities in other places. And if the church and if 9th Street and Carterville Christian cannot realize that this is an opportunity to realize that maybe God is judging not just our church but our nation. Then I don't know what it will take for the church of Jesus Christ. A lady contacted me yesterday and I wrote back with her what I thought was some answers of some of the needs of prayer and, and the political forces that are going on in this world. And she wrote back, she goes, you know, you're right. And I'm going to prepare myself to become the underground church. My friends, judgment is coming. And we need to respond now to being the people filled with the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me just, let me just say this. And I've said it here before and I say it at Carterville all the time. Why doesn't the things that I talked about happen today as I close? Let me just say these four things. I believe that the Holy Spirit is not able to do what the Holy Spirit wants to do in the lives of the believers in the United States church. is because we really don't want it. We really don't want that to happen here. See, because we realize that the Holy Spirit were to fall down upon us, like one of my favorite sermons, and I have preached it here before, one of my favorite sermons in 1 Kings, the 19th chapter, and Elijah taking on the prophets of Baal, when Elijah prayed for the fire of heaven to fall, and it fell, it licked up everything that those people saw before them, and it changed the nation of Israel. If you go back and read that story when Elijah calls the people around him at the very beginning, he asks them, how long will you limp between two opinions? And nobody says anything. But after the fire falls... After the fire burns up the sacrifice, when they can see what the fire of God can truly do, they were ready to do the unbelievable for God. You see, I'm afraid that in the church today, we don't want it. Second of all, we don't believe it can happen today. We don't believe that will happen today. And I want to ask you, and I know that you would say, each one of you would walk out and go, no, Robin, I believe it can happen today. Then let it happen today. Let it change you. Let it change this church. Let it change this community. Third of all, we're not willing to pay the price for that kind of power. We're not willing to pay the price for that kind of power. Many years ago, in uh, about 12, 13, 14 years ago, uh, I know this is hard to believe. Uh, I, used to, I used to run a lot. I would, I would run marathons and I did triathlons and, and I would run and I would run. It became a habit. It became a, an addiction for me to run. An addiction. I would run every day. would do it. And all of a sudden my back started hurting. My legs started hurting and I put it off. I put it off. At CIY conference, I'd have to have people help me up on the stage. So if I were coming out on the stage back then, I would come through the back door because they would be back there helping me up the steps because I, I couldn't lift my leg up. I go to the doctor. The doctor says, uh, I said, do an x-ray on my back. Do the surgery. Cut me. Let's get back out there. I need to run. He comes in. He says, well, I got some good news and some bad news. They go, well, give me the good news. He says, it's not your back. Well, if it's not my back, what is it? He says, your hip. You have run your hip to death. There is nothing left in your hip. It's bone on bone. He said, when do you want to do the surgery? And I said, not today. Not today. He said, well, let me know when you want to do it. And I said, not today, not next week, not ever. I'm not doing that. About three years later, 
on the side of a football field when I got down on a knee and couldn't get back up, I decided it may be time for the pain to go away. And I had to go through the surgery and the rehab to get the pain to go away. I had to pay the price. And last of all, we really don't think we need it. When we sing these songs of worship, do we sing them like we need them? Like those words of God's grace and forgiveness, do we sing them? Do we read them like we know we need it? Like we want God to move in our lives. Oh, friends, the Holy Spirit is wanting to move. He's wanting to move in Eldon, Missouri. He's wanting to move in all the communities around here. And today we have that opportunity to say, do it now. Don't put off. Let me pray for you before we sing. Gracious God and Father. And I come to you today among people that are so dear to me and people that are dear that I don't even know. The people I know that love you, God, they care so much about you. They care for you, God. But God, please light within us today that fire of the Holy Spirit that will move within us, that will, Father God, cause us to open up. And we would today surrender and submit to you so that Satan can no longer get within our minds and our hearts to cause us to not live for you. Help us to plan out how we will live for you tomorrow in our jobs, how we will plan out where we go, how we will live for you, that we will take the chance to speak up and to listen to people. And then, Father God, direct us, bring those people to us that sometimes when the conversation's over, God, we go, what was that about? How did that happen? God, burn up 9th Street Christian Church with the power in the presence of the Holy Spirit. Let people that are even over in Highway 54 look this direction. Because there's something over here that will change their lives. We're standing along the roadside and out in front of Creamy and every other place we go, the people will look. They'll be drawn to who we are. And not because of what we have done. But because you live within us. Speak to us, Holy Spirit. Guide us and direct us. These things today and at this moment in time, I pray to you in the name of Jesus. Amen.